2019, we were told, avoid negative people. 2020, avoid positive people. 2021, avoid people. Right? I mean, this is the season we're in, and we kind of, what is this all about? But friends, I want to tell you, with all the craziness, God has done some incredible and significant things. If you haven't been challenged by this year, then I don't think you're human. But in it all, this, I think we're stronger today than we've ever been. And the reason being is because in crisis and in confrontation, I believe the destiny of God is way more revealed than it is in seasons of comfort and convenience. Pre-COVID, there was a momentum we all carried and all ran with. But I'm not sure that momentum was God. It was just momentum. We had facilities and buildings and people and finances and the whole world was really busy and all the churches were busy and we read the books on uh, momentum's the leader's best friend. And then we hit COVID and it all shut down, stopped. And, and now we're hearing everybody who's beginning to gather again saying, gee, it's amazing how our spiritual uh, uh, momentum is far outweighing our physical momentum. I want to suggest that is a good thing and it's a God thing. And God help us not to run with physical momentum at the expense of spiritual momentum. May we always, as our physical momentum, be behind our spiritual momentum because God is in this and we want to focus on what God's doing in a time and a season. Now, I'm not saying it's been easy, but it's, we are stronger today than we have been because it's real and the shakings happen, and what stayed is kingdom. And how many of you know that's the goodness of God? To shake this side of eternity, when we get to adjust this side of eternity, before that side of eternity, when it's too late, and everything we did burnt and didn't work out. So I'm grateful. I realize the moment we've been in has not paused the mission that God's put us on. And that's not a cliche, that's fact. God has never stopped doing what He was doing. He paused what we were doing to remind us again of what He is doing and also to remind us that apart from Him, we cannot do anything. But this moment has not paused the mission. It's brought us back to the mission. And I want to tell you, 2020 for me, and I, I like James, had a word from the Lord that the pandemic's coming. I'm, not, I'm joking. He didn't tell me that. God spoke to me in early 2020. It's a season of release. And I began to preach oh, in January, release. And I went to Australia and I preached all over Australia, season of release. I got home from Australia at the, the end of February and we got locked up, shut down, locked down, and I've yet to leave this country since then. And you begin to say, well, what's that about release? I kind of thought God was just going to release the resources of heaven and release more momentum with the busyness of what we're doing and just blow wind in everything we're doing because that's release to me. We got locked up, locked down, shut down. The vehicles were taken and we were stuck. Doing, what are we doing? But what I want to say is that God released us, looking back, from things. But God doesn't take away for the sake of taking away. God released us from in order to release us into. And we've got to not just mourn the, what we've been lost, what's been lost. We've got to rejoice in the releasing into. And the danger, and this is a leadership forum and, and, and not a conference. This is a, 
equipping. So the challenge for us is let's not try and get back to everything we were doing pre-COVID. Can you imagine this year and a half? Wasted. It's been wasted here on the earth, but let's not waste it in the kingdom. And so I realize that some of us want to throw rocks already at me because, gee, you know how hard it's been? Yes, for me too. But God's got some things He's done, and, and so He released us from in order to release us into. And so I believe the season we're in is a season of effectiveness. If He's released us from in order to release us into, let's look to be more effective in our seasons. And God is about effectiveness, not just doing stuff, being effective, finding what God's doing, and getting on board with some of those things. And I think that's something of our season. And while you're turning there, I know you're still turning there because you take long to turn there. So I'm going to keep talking. I, I want to read this. Just I don't want to get you to turn there because then I'll stay there and then we won't get to something else. But let me read this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. I, I'm, stay in Acts 20. Don't read this. Just hear this. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. The, force, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body. And if you don't know what that is, it tells us what that is, the church. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, everything, not some things, not most things, not in our things, in everything, He may have supremacy, preeminence, first place in everything. This covid 19, has exposed many, many things in our nation and in the world. And to be honest, it continues to expose a whole lot of corruption, a whole lot of everything else. But let me tell you, church, it's exposed some of what we're doing too. I believe the foundation of the church in our great nation has been exposed through COVID-19. That most of the church has been built around the foundation of good gifting, charismatic leaders. Ministries are about a person or a people or, or a what We've built around everything but Christ. And it's been exposed. And, and I believe it's a good thing. And I believe it's a time to adjust it and not just pray about it and hope, but bring Him back to first place in everything. And I have this dream, and I hope you do with me, is that coming out of this season, whatever it looks like going forward, is a church, a people, a wineskin, a pattern, whatever it be, a new structure that is truly representing Jesus. A church that has encountered Jesus afresh. A people that are reconnected to their master, to their Lord, to their head. A lovesick bride who's reconnected to her bridegroom and who will do more for her and with her out of love than that we will do out of duty and religion. 
I honestly believe that's our moment, and I hope that's in your heart, and I trust you are honestly leading that way, because this season requires Jesus to have first place in everything. See, I, I, I believe that Jesus is prominent in many lives. Many churches carry something of the prominence of Christ, but He's not preeminent, and there's a big difference. We don't add Jesus to anything. Jesus is everything, and everything finds its place not next to Him, but under Him. It's not Jesus and anything. It's not Jesus and mission. It's not Jesus and ministry. It's not Jesus and kingdom. It's not Jesus and whatever, nations. It's not Jesus and church. It's not Jesus and justice. It's not Jesus and glorious. It's not whatever your thing is, even if it's a God thing, doesn't sit next to Christ. What I have found and what you have to admit you found is that when anything is next to Christ, it ends up always, every time, taking the place of Christ. And that's why we've got such division in the church and out of the church, because causes divide if they're not surrendered under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Kingdom causes destroy the kingdom when the king is not taking his rightful place in it all. So the stuff we talk about, the songs we sing, they're great, but if they're not surrendered under, not there and Jesus, then, Jesus then, not Jesus and. It's not semantics. It's a revolutionary thinking that requires us to restructure everything. Are you there? Otherwise, our kingdom cause divides His kingdom and brings no glory to Him, the King. But when we surrender, nothing we do, your cause from God, God give it has no significance if it's not under Christ. The reason what we do has significance is because He has first place in it all. So in this exposing, let's adjust, let's fix, let's come back to this thing of we have reconnected with Jesus and we're representing Him way more than just a moment we have with Him. People are seeing Jesus. You know, America has tried church, but they haven't tried Jesus. And the reason is because the church has misrepresented Jesus and has become about so many other things. I'm not talking anti-America. I'm an American speaking to Americans as church in America saying, our season is shifted. Let's fight and contend for the preeminence of Jesus in everything. Amen? The main thing my pops always used to teach us when he led this team, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. It's brilliant. I mean, that is brilliant. But what I realized, the more he preached that, the more we made the stuff we do for the king the main thing. The Great Commission became the main thing, and it is a main thing. But I've changed it to say, no, no, it's the main thing is to keep the main one the main thing. Because this one is not a thing. <laughs> and so here in Colorado and Seattle and all the regions in California, we need to just come back to the simplicity and reality of Jesus in everything, Jesus first in everything, or nothing matters without Jesus' supremacy. Amen? I'm absolutely convinced this is that moment, this exciting thing. So I want to speak this evening on something that I haven't spoken of, and it's not seriously a message I like to preach on because it's kind of like, uh, but if we're going to talk about being effective, then we need to see things differently from Scripture. 
Season of release, season of effect. How many of you want to be more effective? I mean, that's why you're here, surely. And even if you're being effective, the good news is God wants you to be more effective. Paul seemed to look for effective doors. Paul was able to read that God's in this, and I'm going to stay here for a great door of effectiveness is open. I had a plan to go there, but I'm not going there because God's here, and God's doing this here. And, and so we need to strategize like never before, but we better open those strategies to the, the hand of God to prove the effectiveness in it. We keep saying insanity is doing the same thing the same way, expecting different results. So it's not let's just get on with the same thing the same way and hope it changes. It's finding God's strategy and what's God doing and what's God saying. And, and so I think there's this effectiveness that He's requiring of us. And one of the things we've got to learn to do better and do well is complete some tasks. I don't expect too many amens, but this is what the Lord wants us to hear tonight. Colossians, are we reading Acts 20 now? Colossians 4.17, Paul says this, Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you've received in the Lord. Like, why would he say that? Because it's important. Acts 20, let's go, verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you? From the first day I came to you into the province of Asia, you know how I lived, declared, and demonstrated. We need to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. You want to be effective? Do what you say. Live what you preach. If you're not willing to follow your word, you shouldn't speak at all. Somehow we've got this dream we tell everyone, and as leaders, we're good at telling people what to do. Nothing wrong with that, but we don't do what we tell others to do. Paul said, you know how I lived among you. Friends, that's effective. Jesus lived. You want a great example? Look at Jesus, not what he said, what he did. Paul said, you know how I lived among you. Can I, can I just again, friends, let's not declare stuff we don't live in. And if we do declare it and we're not living in it, let's declare we want to be like that. But don't make out we're doing that when we're not. People can see it. And there's no effectiveness in that. Someone said, when a man's life does not preach, his preaching cannot live. Think about this. Have you ever thought how embarrassing it would be to have to preach what you practice? <laughs> if you had to stand up and actually preach what you're practicing, not what you preach. What does our worlds look like? It's a good question. Think about your last week of what you've done, and now think about having to stand up and preach on that. Just a good practice. Anyway, verse 19 said, I serve the Lord with great humility. Man, we need that in the church. I didn't serve a man or a movement or a region. These guys in New York, if they went to New York for New York, they're going to run quickly out of New York. If they're serving a region, serving a nation, serving a people, you're done. But we serve Him. That's why we're in New York. That's why we do what we do. Paul said, I served the Lord with great humility. When you're serving people, you don't need humility. When you're serving the Lord, you will be humble. And with tears. Doesn't mean it was tears of joy. Amazing how we've all thought God can't be with us because we've had a tough season. 
God must have left. No, no, God's in it all. Nowhere do we see that serving the plans of God and purposes, you'll find yourself in great places. Prison, hardship, it's all there. That's what we see. But when we face it, we somehow think, mm, God's not in it. God's in it. And serving Him with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. Verse 20, you know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that will be helpful to you. But I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to you both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance. Have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now compelled. Don't you love that language? Compelled by the Spirit. We need some compelling by the Spirit in this season. We need to do what He told us to do, not what people want us to do. We need to go where He's calling us to go, not where people want us to come. We need more conviction, more compelling, living out what God has spoken, regardless of the trouble it will cause for us, regardless of perhaps getting locked up. And I'm not trying to get us locked up, but those days are coming if we're going to stick to this. Choose who you will serve. Not arrogance. Paul said, compelled by the Spirit. You know, who wants to follow someone who's compelled by the Spirit? I do. Not, I read this in a book and we're going to give it a go. Not, I heard someone preach on this and we're going to try it. I'm compelled by the Spirit. And I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will wait for, happen when I'm there. Isn't that amazing? He didn't have it all worked out, knowing what was lying there. It's like some of us won't do anything till we know exactly what it looks like. Compelled by the Spirit means I'm going not knowing. We need some of that. It's not craziness. It's just faith stepping out, trusting. I've heard God. I don't know what else to say. Then he said this, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. Gee, that sounds like a great call. I'm not going to hear that in many churches, but this is what Paul understood, compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to go knowing, I don't know what's there, but this I do know. Everywhere I go, prison, hardship, that's my goal. I mean, what was special about this man? Nothing. Just a man. It wasn't Jesus. Don't elevate him. Honor the gift, but a man. But he caught something and understood what his life was about. And he said, however, verse 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing. It doesn't say that. I've been guilty of saying my life's worth nothing. He didn't say that. My life's worth nothing to me. Your life is worth everything to God. And if you don't believe that, with all due respect, you'll never walk in what God has for you. You can't tell others their significance if you haven't understood yours. I still believe Jesus would have come just for me. I really do. If there was not another person on this planet, I still believe he would have come just for me. And he should, you better believe that for you. And what's the difference? You matter. He didn't come for just masses. He came for individuals. So when you walk around saying, my life's worth, worth nothing, no, it is. It's worth everything, but to me, he settled. I'm not in it for me. That's a big thing, friends. Your life is worth everything, but to you, it shouldn't be. Otherwise, you've got no chance. I've got no chance of being effective and walking in the things God has. So don't walk around saying, I'm worth nothing. My life's worth nothing to me. But he goes on and he says, if only 
I may finish the race and complete the task. Now, I, I've been a big believer, and I still am. And man, I've preached, and guys have taken my notes and written books on finishing the race. So I wrote a book on finishing the race, even though I didn't write the book. But I want to tell you, I'm a huge believer in finishing the race. That's been my thing, and I still believe it 100%. But I've missed there's another side to this, completing the task. And then, let me just say, if you are focused only on finishing the race, then you're going to do whatever you can to finish the race and miss the tasks God's given us in the seasons He's putting us through. Are you there? People are like, I just want to finish the race. I'm just, my eyes are on the finish prize, finish line. And, and we just like, we're running for the end, but we're forgetting all the stuff He has for us here on earth. And here's the challenge for us. If we connected, if God's put us together, which He has, and we are connected to everyone in the world, I get that, but He's put us in partnership together. That means we need to complete our tasks in order for us all to have effectiveness. COVID has revealed a whole lot of stuff, as we said, but one of them was like everybody wants to get into the new thing, and we don't want to go back. So, But there's some unfinished business from COVID. Pre-COVID, God hasn't said ignore all that. He wants to bring some of that into the season, and we best understand if it was given by God, we need to complete the task rather than just keep running for the next thing. You're there. I think we like the finishing the race more. Hebrews 12, this race marked out, fixing our eyes on Jesus. I love preaching on that. I don't like preaching on this one, but they are equal. And God is highlighting this other truth to us. We need to get better at completing our tasks. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, task of testifying the gospel of God's grace. If only I may fulfill my destiny, is what he's saying, and finish the ministry my Lord Jesus has assigned to me. See, I think Paul saw himself as many things, but maybe he saw himself as an accountant. He examined his assets and his liabilities, and he decided to put Jesus Christ ahead of everything else. And we know he did that in Philippians 3, verse 1 to 11, and verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, and I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. He saw himself as an accountant. Now listen, if you're an accountant, we're grateful for you, but I don't like accountants. Because everything's like lined up and they, they're hard. You, you're awesome. We need you, but you hard work. You, you say no too many times. Can't afford it. Can't do it. Don't have those resources. And we need you. But, but this is a different one. We all are accountants of adding up and counting the cost. You're not going to finish the race and you're definitely not going to complete the task if you haven't settled. Add this up. Count the cost. Now, this isn't a challenge like we know. No, this is a God speaking to us tonight. Do it. The second thing, he saw himself as a runner. He was a runner who wanted to finish his race. In joyful victory, Philippians 3, 12 and 14, 2 Timothy 4, 8. The three phrases we see, my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish my race and complete the tasks, the ministry. Those are keys. 
Thirdly, he saw himself as a steward. And for his ministry was something that he had received from the Lord. You see, that's probably the biggest challenge for us is the stuff we're doing, have we received it from the Lord or has it just been heaped on us and added to us and we're running around doing everything but the thing he's called us to? And suddenly, and listen, it doesn't mean that we don't have responsibilities and there's a lot I'm doing that I wish I didn't have to. I mean, let me tell you, just in my position, I just want to preach the gospel. I don't want to deal with the issues of people. I don't want to have to make a decision what we pay for and what we... But that's part of the mission, all right? You can't get away from it. But I also think there are some of us who are running with a whole lot of stuff that's not from God. You will never complete a task if it's not assigned by God. You're not required to. And maybe that's the season on us. What do you require of me rather than what do people want from me? Hello? Pastors, for a moment, can I just step on your toes? You don't have to jump through hoops to keep God people. If God's given them to you, lead them. Love them and lead them. And don't jump through hoops to keep them and keep them engaged and do the online and offline and whatever they need and get their permission and perspective on all things. You'll never lead them into the plans of God. You're led by the bleating of the sheep. You've got no chance of leading God's people into the glorious inheritance He has. He was a steward. You know, a steward owns very little or nothing, but possesses everything. His sole purpose is to serve their master and please him. In 1 Corinthians 4.12, Paul said, Now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Steward must one day give an account for their ministry. All of us will do that, whatever it be. And Paul was ready for that day. Let me, let me say, I, I've talked a lot around faithfulness, because I think faithfulness is strategic in stewarding. I've asked this question in many places. What is a characteristic of, a, of faithfulness? People say stuff like consistency, endurance, loyal, committed, steadfast, and all these great words. But I've never heard someone actually answer this, which is very biblical, multiplication. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, Jesus was very clear on what faithfulness is. And he uses in Matthew 25 a very well-known text where he says a, 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 a master called his servants and was leaving. And he gave one five talents, one two talents, and one one talent. Remember the story. And he said to them, be faithful. I'm leaving when I come back. I'm and he comes back. The one with five was faithful and multiplied it. He said, come on in, welcome. It's great celebration. The one with two also multiplied. And he said, you, were, you faithful servant, well done. But the one with one talent dug a hole, hid it. And when the master came, he said, master, I knew that you were, a, 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 I was fearful of you, afraid of you. And so I hid it. Here's what you gave me. And Jesus, looked, the master representing Jesus, looked at it and said, you are wicked and lazy. Because you gave back what I gave you. What was he saying? Faithfulness is multiplication. It's the very call of God from the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. So I want to suggest to us tonight that being a steward means a multiplier rather than just an endurer and a consistent uh, and whatever else uh, we want to be. Uh, let's be biblical. Uh, Let's look at what Jesus said is faithfulness. And one of them, he did say, is multiplication. Amen? Um, another thing that, 
that is this did you blow your nose? Or? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh sorry. I thought you were you want me to kiss the handkerchief? Sorry, we're just having a bit of fun in the front row here. But another thing Paul saw himself is as a witness. A witness. Testifying of the gospel of grace of God. In verse 21, he said, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn in God in repentance. Have faith in our Lord Jesus. You know, Paul was a faithful witness, friends. Both in his life and the life he lived and the message he preached. Just let me say this, leaders. The church will never be more missional than its leaders. Let that sink in. Because we can stand up and tell people, mission, get on with the mission. If you're not living in the mission, your people will never live in the mission. That's why we better release missional leaders. People who have caught mission. Because they're going to determine how much mission the church will be involved in. If you want to know what the problem of the church is, look at the leaders. Your preaching will not be fruitful in leading people into mission if you're not surrendered to the mission yourself. Okay, so let me try and bring this to some practicals. What are some hindrances? Hindrances, and I've prayed and thought and What are some hindrances to completing the task? Well, number one, please please hear this because these are important. I feel like God's speaking, and this is not like I borrowed this. I felt like God really gave me some of these things. I haven't preached on this, but just coming out of the season. Number one, the reason we, we don't complete or hindering our completing of the task is we undermine His divine call. When we do things for the sake of doing them and not realize it's His call, we have no desire and no intention of finishing anything. I mean, listen, this season has been hectic for a lot of church leaders, for all of us, but church leaders have struggled with this responsibility of being online and going online and trying to shepherd. I mean, it's just crazy. You've never learned about this in any Bible college. It's never been heard of. No one taught us this. It's just like, Work it out and borrow and beg and what does everyone else do? And what I've realized is that the responsibility has began to overplay and outweigh the call. And families are exhausted. We're doing worship, we're doing the preaching, we're doing the recording, and everyone's just sitting there saying, not enough, too long, when are you going to stop recording? You know, everybody's unhappy. I'm just stating facts. And pastors have told me, our family's burning out. We can't do all this stuff anymore. What do we do? Our responsibilities outweigh the call, and that's the problem. If the responsibility has taken the role of the call, you will burn out. What we've got to come back to is the call that will motivate us to keep on with responsibility. Which means, dear friends, we need to keep an ever-present divine call in everything we do. It's not past, present, or future, ever-present. This is a divine thing. It's changed how I go about some of the nonsense that I have to put up with and be involved in, honestly. Because it's the call is why I'm going to get on and face some of the stuff I have to. Because I don't want to undermine the divine call from God. It comes with the call. And if you catch the call, you can live through it. If you don't catch the call, you're going to burn out, quit, and not finish. Not, not finish the race, not complete the task. 
People are wanting out, wanting to hand over, wanting to get out. Wanting, I mean, again, statistics. People, pastors are burning out like never before and are handing over and closing down churches. And it's tragic, but I want to say complete the task. And the way to do that is come back to the divine nature of the call. This is a God thing, not our thing. And God, I want to finish. I don't want to undermine the practicalities of the day-to-day stuff. Live with a sense of destiny, my dear friends. Live with a sense of duty. I'm in partnership with you, God. That's why I do what I do. Live with a sense of dedication, calling versus responsibility, whatever your call is. Not church leaders, everyone. Live with a sense of determination. Settle this, who am I? Ask yourself that and don't begin to question yourself. But I think these are good questions. Who am I? You know, when you settle who you are, who God's called you to be, you are liberated. And when you're liberated, you liberate other people. Who am I? You know, knowing, take, laying a hold of your call is knowing your strengths and your weaknesses. It's okay to have them. Don't try and be everything to everyone. You're not. So I think we've got to come back to this. Who am I? And let me ask you, if, are you who you're supposed to be? It'll help in understanding this call. Are you who you're supposed to be? Because if you're not, you're a good person, but you're a fraud. You're fake. Come back to who He's called you to be. Be that. That's what we need. That's what you need us to be. That's what we need to be. That's what He wants us to be. Yes? So be that. Are you settled in your call? Have you really settled in your call of who you're called to be and do? Am I who I should be? (laughs) And am I doing what I should be doing? Am I where I should be?